0: The following audio is from Life Point Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about Life Point Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, good morning. At this time, the kids can go ahead and be dismissed to their classrooms. And if you have Bibles, go ahead and grab those and open them up to Acts chapter 2. How many of you guys are excited for the word today? I am so excited. Listen, uh, my name's Eric. I'm the lead teaching pastor here, and and I missed you last week. I don't know if you missed me, but I missed you. Uh, I was actually uh, on my way to Chicago. I was moving my daughter uh, into Wheaton College for a uh, two-week intensive where she is there right now having the time of her life. Uh, And so how many of you guys love moving? That's what I thought. I've moved so many times. Anyone move recently in the last week, two weeks, month, right? Is it miserable or what? Okay. I, I've, I've moved so many times in my life. I, I actually moved uh, uh, four, uh, four times in three years when I was in high school. I had to switch schools all these times. It was horrible for me as a young teenager. Uh, and so when it comes to moving, I, I've lived in apartment complexes. I've lived in condos. I've lived in dorms. I've lived in ranch homes that are slabs. I've lived in ranch homes that are basements. I've I've lived in two-story homes. And, and, and maybe you even consider it a three-story home because there was actually stairs to the attic. It was really awesome. Uh, and so I lived in all these different homes, which means I've moved a lot. And so I've actually helped some of you move a lot, and that drives me crazy, but uh, I love to do it. I'm here to serve, right? Uh, and, and so the home that I live in now, you, you know, my wife and I, we would tell you that's probably our forever home, but it's not really our forever home. Sorry, babe. Uh, our forever home is in heaven, amen? And so I am preparing for one more move, uh, and that is my permanent move. Uh, when Jesus returns or decides to call me home, I'm ready to move there. And so uh, we've moved multiple times. Uh, we've moved throughout our life lives, and and the scripture is going to tell us today that we're not done moving. As Christians, we're not done moving, and so every time you move, it it takes hard work, it it takes preparation, uh, it takes determination, it takes a little sweat and tears, amen, Uh, uh, but it seems like every time you move, it starts a a, a new chapter uh, in your life, and so we're not moving necessarily uh, buildings, although that is in the work, but God calls us ultimately to move as people. And so a couple weeks ago we started in the book of acts and we first started looking on how church is not a place but it's rather a movement. If you think about church, it's not necessarily a place that we attend. We can look and drive around and say, oh, there's a, there's a church, but really that's a building that the church meets in. Are you with me? And so the church ultimately is a movement that is fueled by the gospel. And so these people, they come together and they are fueled by what Jesus has done for them, what Jesus has done in them, and how Jesus took their sin and gives us new life through faith in him. And this gospel, it moves us because this gospel being the fuel of the movement is actually ignited by the Holy Spirit in us that gives us a passion for God to actually live our lives on mission. So church, over the years, that movement has been lost. I don't know if you realize it. But if you look at how the church started and where the church is now, it is still moving. Don't lose hope. It is advancing. The gospel is going forward because Jesus said it would go forward. But as as a culture, churches have kind of become stagnant. They've become comfortable with where they are spiritually. And most people see church as a place that we go or an event that we uh, attend. And so if you think about it, churches have not become highways for the gospel to reach the ends of the earth. They become cul-de-sacs where we all just simply gather around. And so the promise of God, the purpose of God, and the plan of God is this movement. And this movement was given by Jesus himself. And let me just give you a little spoiler alert. This plan that Jesus gives us is not church attendance. You with me on that? So Jesus, he's, more, he's less concerned about a church's seating capacity than it is its sending capacity. And so Jesus could actually care less of how many people just simply come and gather, but how many people scatter in his name. And so we want to be a church that doesn't just simply gather, although that's important, and we see that through the scriptures, amen? But what we also see is that as they gather, they're empowered, equipped, and boldened to scatter to the ends of the earth to reach people for Jesus Christ. Let me show you this plan, this purpose, and this power from Acts Chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we reviewed it a couple weeks ago, but it says this in verse 4. And while they were, uh, while he was staying with them, that's Jesus staying with the uh, disciples, while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. So the plan is to go to the ends of the earth, but not yet. Stay in Jerusalem, wait for the promise. Everyone say promise. All right, you're with me. That's the participation part that you do during the sermon. Promise, okay? So wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John the Baptist baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so some people are like, okay, uh, Jesus is going to send the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And some people are like, well, what does that mean? He explains it in verse 8 it says but you will receive power say power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses everyone say witness. witness you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in all of judea and samaria and to the ends of the earth so follow me the promise is the power of the holy spirit that's what jesus said I will send the promised Holy Spirit upon you. The purpose of the power is to witness about Jesus. Do you see it in the text? And so you're gonna receive power, why would I need power? Because you're gonna need power to witness about Jesus Christ, and the plan then is to proclaim Jesus to the ends of the earth to the ends of the earth, and so the promise is the power, the purpose is to witness, and the plan is to go to the ends of the earth. So the promise, purpose, and plan was given in Acts chapter one, but the church wasn't formed until Acts chapter two. Think about that, which means the mission always comes first. The mission to reach people with the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ was already in motion, already in place. So God doesn't start with the church. He starts with the plan to reach the earth. And then God empowers his church to fulfill that purpose. And so as a Christian, if all you do is walk into a place and you're not walking in the mission of God, you miss walking in the purpose that God has for your life. If all you simply do is just come and attend church and never ask God to use you for his plan and purpose, a power of the Holy Spirit to go and bear witness, then we miss out on the power. We miss out on the promise, and we miss out on the purpose. So let me ask you, is Christianity for you a set of beliefs in which you consent to, Here's the list. This is what we believe. This is what we, what we understand the Bible says to be true. And then many Christians will say, okay, yes, I agree, check. Or is Christianity and following Jesus for you rather a spirit-empowered life that God has put in you in order to be a witness? Because there's a vast difference. Can we agree with that? I mean, that is, that is two worlds apart. And so we will only understand the difference when we understand the mission of God. the mission of God, the plan of God, is to reach all nations, say all nations. And so the mission of God is in the plan of God for the glory of God to bear witness to the Son of God whose name is Jesus Christ, and that's the plan. And so Jesus tells us, That in order for this purpose and plan to reach all people, it's going to need more than a mission strategy. It's going to need more than just simply a good outreach system, but it's rather going to need power from Christ himself. Three years earlier, John the Baptist, he was on the Jordan, he was baptizing people. He was leading a movement, a movement for the glory of God. And John the Baptist would come, and the scripture says that he was full of the Spirit And what he was doing is he was calling people to repent. That means to turn from their sin. That means to stop in the direction that they're going, turn and fix their eyes on Christ. So listen, uh, some people say, well, I I can't follow Christ because I I haven't cleaned myself up yet. Listen, you don't clean yourself up. Just put your eyes on Jesus. He'll take care of the rest. Amen? Amen? And so here we are, And John the Baptist would say, repent, uh, turn from your sins, receive forgiveness of your sins, be baptized as a sign of the new relationship that you now have with God. And so John the Baptist made it clear that when the Messiah would come, he would baptize people not simply with water, but rather with the Holy Spirit. And that is exactly what we're about to read about in the book of Acts. Jesus tells them, wait for the Spirit. In other words, Jesus tells them, in order to be effective witnesses to the ends of the earth, you're gonna need the power of the Holy Spirit, which means, according to Luke, being baptized with the Holy Spirit is not the same thing as being born again in Christ. Let me explain that to you. To be born again in Christ does require the Holy Spirit. But Jesus tells them, yes, you are born again, you are in me, you have eternal life because you believe in me, but you're going to need something special if the plan is going to move forward, which means reaching the ends of the earth. By faith in Jesus, we are born again. There's a supernatural work of the spirit in your heart when you hear the gospel and you say, I need Jesus. That's the work of God, amen? It's not the work of you. You don't clean yourself up. You don't be a good boy, a good girl. God grabs you right where you are and says, I want you to be mine, and you say yes, right? And, and so there's a conversion that happens through the gifting of the Holy Spirit and by faith in Jesus, we're born again into Jesus and is the Holy Spirit of God that unites us to Christ and gives us, seals us for eternal life. But what Jesus says In Acts chapter 1, and what we will see today in Acts chapter 2, is that the essence of being baptized with the Holy Spirit is when a person who is already a believer receives extraordinary power to be a Christ-exalting witness to the world, a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus. Luke 24, Jesus says the baptism is being clothed with power. Power to preach repentance and the forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Acts 1.8, Jesus says that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that comes upon you and gives you power to actually witness and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And according to John 13, John 15, Romans 8, and and John 3, the disciples were already born again and converted and had been saved by the Holy Spirit, which is why, Jesus doesn't say, well, you need to wait in Jerusalem until you're born again. He says you need to wait until you're clothed with power. And so this morning, we will see that the baptism with the Spirit is a special empowering for Jesus' exalting ministry, and it is described in the Bible as a filling. And this idea of filling is almost always associated with power to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ to those who are far from him. This filling, Holy Spirit, is not just a one-time, one-and-done deal. It is a continual filling that the Holy Spirit gives you to be a proclaimer of the gospel. I hope I pray that every week you're here, you're actually witnessing a filling of the Holy Spirit as the gospel is proclaimed. That is what we're after. We, I don't just simply stand up here as a man before you and just say, oh, you know what? Uh, uh, you know, I, I know some things. No, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to empower me to proclaim the gospel to you every single time we gather. And so we'll see this filling as an ongoing empowerment which is given by the Spirit to bear witness to Jesus Christ. Listen to me. As only the Spirit allows, the filling of the Holy Spirit An extraordinary power is given to believers in Jesus to tell the world about Jesus. Look in Acts chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost arrived, everyone say Pentecost. It's a fun word to say. When the day of Pentecost arrived, They were all gathered in one place. Now, chapter one tells us the all there is the 120 people that gathered to pray. Okay, so you've got got the 11 uh, disciples, one betrayed Jesus, he went off, right? He's got 11. Then they replaced him with Matthias, so now there's 12. But the number in chapter one says the gathering was about 120. So on the day of Pentecost, they were all gathered in one place. And suddenly, everyone say suddenly, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled. Everyone say filled. As a key word. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterances. Now, let's begin with this fun word, Pentecost. It says, when Pentecost came, why did Jesus choose Pentecost as the day that he would pour out his Spirit upon the disciples? Well, Pentecost got its name because it means 50th. All right? And so from that day, Pentecost took place 50 days after Passover. You're following me. All right? And so a Jewish holiday in Exodus 23 and Deuteronomy 16, a Jewish holiday was on the 50th day after Passover, and it was called the Feast of Harvest. The Feast of Harvest, which during the Feast of Harvest, a lot of travelers would start to come into Jerusalem from all over the known world. And so let us not miss the significance of this. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit in power that was given as a means to be a witness to Jesus Christ and it led to a great harvest of the whole world? Sounds significant, don't you think? Almost so that in chapter two, verse 41, when the harvest field gathers, 3,000 people were harvested for God. They were given eternal life. They came to faith in Jesus Christ on that day of Pentecost, which is actually the Feast of Harvest. Do you see the similarities? So it's a shame that Pentecost, the term Pentecost, the word Pentecost, has become associated with speaking in tongues rather than the harvest of the world and the proclamation of the gospel. Listen, 120 speaking in another language is not as significant as 3,000 people coming to faith in one day. The day that Jesus pours out the Spirit in extraordinary power, 3,000 people come to faith and are harvested from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. And the number 3,000, my friend, is also significant, Because in Exodus 34, when the law was given to Moses, it says that fire of God came down and 3,000 men died. Because they couldn't keep the law. But in the coming of the Spirit, 3,000 people come to life. At the coming of the Spirit, 3,000 people come alive because Jesus Christ has already paid the price to fulfill the law upon the cross. And when the fire of God's wrath comes down, it's already poured out upon Jesus Christ so that when the fire comes to you and I, we don't have to be in despair and we don't have to worry because it's not going to destroy us. We want it to fill us. And so God's love now compels us. God's love now redeems us. God's love now refines us by his spirit. It doesn't destroy us because Jesus paid it all on the cross. And so here we are, Pentecost, people are gathering, verse 2, and suddenly, everyone say "Suddenly." suddenly, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Why do I point out suddenly? Suddenly means that the Holy Spirit is free and not bound to anyone's timing, technique, or how to get his power. He's not confined. He's not restrained. And so we do pray for the Spirit's outpouring of power. We bear witness with mighty words and the works of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. But listen to me, we cannot make the Spirit come. When he comes, he comes suddenly. The Holy Spirit will never become someone's bellhop. You can't ring a bell and say, please come, O Spirit. He loves and he serves. The Holy Spirit empowers witnesses, but he keeps his own hours. And so when the Spirit comes in power, he comes suddenly, on his own terms, on his own time, and he comes for harvesting. That's why he comes. It's time to reap the harvest of believers. It's time when the Holy Spirit shows up, 3,000 people come to faith because there's a proclamation of Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit. And in this moment that the Holy Spirit came from heaven, he came in this moment like a rushing, mighty wind. And it filled the house that they were sitting. Look in verse 3. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. There are times that the Holy Spirit wants to make his presence known. Visible, audible manifestations. The Old Testament, the Holy Spirit traveled. A pillar of cloud by day Fire by night. Jesus' baptism, the spirit fell, appeared like a dove upon him. In Acts chapter two, we see wind and fire. In Acts chapter four, a building shakes. In Acts chapter six, Stephen's face was glowing like an angel. In Acts chapter 16, there was an earthquake. So follow me, at times, the spirit can and does give visible or audible demonstrations of his presence and of his power. So the question is then, why does he do this for some and not others, or why at some times and not other times? Let me tell you why. Because the Holy Spirit is not fire. The Holy Spirit is not wind. The Holy Spirit is not a dove. The Holy Spirit is not a warm glow. God will not and does not use these manifestations in a way that we would confuse them with the person of the Holy Spirit and those things. So we can't just say, oh, the Holy Spirit is a dove. No, he's not, he's God. Yet he appears in ways that would show us his presence and his power. So the evidence of the Holy Spirit is not tongues, it's not fire, it's not wind, it's not a warm glow, and it's not fuzzy emotions. The Holy Spirit is God, and the Spirit of God is free to move whenever and however he sees fit. And so to equate, follow me. The move of the Holy Spirit with one or multiple of these ways is to actually limit the Holy Spirit to the way that we want, that we're comfortable with, so that we can somehow manipulate or fabricate some sort of counterfeit move of God. But the God of the Bible, the Holy Spirit, is not a puppet for our controlling. He is God and he comes in power, and so he cannot be confined or manipulated to our emotional desires, but will come suddenly, however he desires. He will come in a moment, and he will come for the glory of God, listen, not the glory of man, And so what we need to clearly see in the scriptures is that the power of the Spirit is given to the believers in Jesus for the purpose of telling the world about Jesus. So hear me, when the Holy Spirit comes and does fill the house, God decides to show his power so the people around see it and it filled them with an overwhelming sense of God's presence. Imagine you're in a room, it starts tornadoing in here and you start seeing tongues of fire fall on each one. All of a sudden you understand now the presence of God is here, amen? And then suddenly the spirit begins to transform their knowledge of God's presence to starting to experience God's presence. And that experience of God's presence begins to overflow in praise and proclamation. That's what happens. The reason I say praise and proclamation is because in verse 11, what were they doing? They were speaking the mighty works of God. So when the Spirit falls on them, they start proclaiming the mighty work of God. The literal translation is they're speaking the greatness of God. That's what's coming out of their lips, the greatness of God. If the Spirit was given them as utterances and the utterances was the greatness of God, then the fullness of the Spirit is to experience and speak about the greatness of God. That's what the scripture would tell us. To be filled with the Spirit is to overflow into praise and proclamation of God's greatness. And our Spirit-filled experience with Jesus transforms our understanding of Jesus for a passion for Jesus, and it leads us to tell the world about Jesus. It's like we experience God in a supernatural way that we can't help keep it in. This is the moment where the spirit fills you with power. And let me tell you how you know. It's because every remnant of fear, timidity, and weakness is now swallowed up by the experience of God's greatness and his presence with you. And a tremendous boldness comes. A tremendous courage comes. And a zeal for Christ is unleashed. And to praise God. And witness of the glory of Jesus Christ. That's the promised filling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus tells us about in chapter 1, verse 4. And so I don't say that the experience centers around speaking in tongues, but rather it centers around a passionate praise and witness for Jesus. Because when the Spirit fell on the church in Acts 4, the house was shaken, the fullness had come, the passion was there, the boldness was there, but there were no tongues, there was no wind, and there was no fire, but the Holy Spirit was present. How do we know? Because there was boldness to proclaim the word of God. In other words, God seems to give manifestations the way he pleases and they're different times in different ways, but the manifestations, listen, they're not the center. Jesus is the center of the spirit. The speaking in tongues as acts does play a significant role, but it only plays a significant role because it's directly connected to the presence of the people who are there. Let me ask you, who's gathering in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost? People from all nations. People who need to understand the gospel. People who need to hear the greatness of God. Let me ask you, who in the world needs to hear about the greatness of God in Jesus Christ? Everyone, And so in other words, the miracle of tongues was a demonstration of God's sovereign power. And the promised power was for the very purpose to advance the gospel to everyone. And so these languages, in chapter 2, verse 4, may be unknown to the speaker, but they were known to the people who heard them speaking because what they were hearing in their own language was the greatness and the mighty works of God, not gibberish that they didn't understand. They understood what they were saying. Look, Acts 2:5. Just getting started. Now, There were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. How many nations is that? All of them. So in Jerusalem, every nation that's under heaven. And at this, the sound of the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own native language. And they were amazed and astonished. Listen, you can be amazed and astonished at the same time. (laughs) Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each each of us in our own native language? Then he lists them. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phy- Phygia and Pamph... Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya, along with Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, here are telling them in our own language, in our own tongue, and the mighty works of God. So what were they hearing in their own language, but rather the mighty works of God? Some say that the purpose of Jesus baptizing with the Holy Spirit is so that people can speak in tongues, But Acts tells us that the reason Jesus clothes us with power by the Spirit is to bear witness. To be proclaimers to the mighty works of God. To all nations, to the ends of the earth. So the problem for that plan to succeed is that all the guys who are there in the upper room are from Galilee. That seems to be a problem, doesn't it? So the problem that the apostles faced on that day was that people from all nations, every nation under the earth, guess what? They spoke different languages. So the point of Pentecost is not tongues, but rather through the power of the Holy Spirit comes the proclamation of the mighty works of Jesus in the way that all the people listening, they start to understand the gospel. And God is so committed to his purpose and his plan to reach the ends of the earth that Jesus is so committed to filling the mission to the ends of the earth that the first time the gospel was preached after the resurrection of Jesus, it was preached to every language simultaneously. The first thing that happens after being clothed with power in the Holy Spirit is that the gospel, the megalela, the mighty works of God was proclaimed to every language at the same time. Listen, do you realize the significance of that? Listen, Christianity is not a Western movement, it is a global movement. Listen Muslims they'll be very quick to tell you that the Quran cannot be translated. If you see an English version of the Quran, they don't call that a, cr- a translation. They call it a paraphrase. Because they believe that the word of God is only in Arabic. Which means which means you can't change God's word out of Arabic. That's what they believe. Muslims believe that God only speaks Arabic. So if you want to understand God you have to learn Arabic, which happens uh, when Islam comes into a culture. The priority is to permeate that culture and replace the culture with Islam and Arabic. So listen, the first time the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed after the resurrection, the mighty works of Christ are proclaimed. It's proclaimed in every language at the same time which means God wants us to understand that no culture is the dominant culture but rather everyone or anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved let me ask you how many nations were represented when 3000 people were baptized every one of them everyone And so God wants us to understand there's not a dominant culture. When the gospel of Jesus Christ goes into a culture, listen to me, it doesn't replace the culture with a new one, but rather redeems the culture through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the gospel of Jesus doesn't move in and then suppress the culture. It redeems the culture to bring out the fullness of the culture. And other religions also want to erase and replace the culture to create a new culture. Hear me. Secularism does the same thing. Secularism is not about diversity. It's trying to convert different cultures to one worldview by erasing and suppressing and replacing every culture with a new one. You have to think like us, you have to believe like us, you have to do like us, you have to do all these things just like us. Jesus doesn't replace different cultures of the world, but rather redeems every culture of the world. Jesus doesn't wanna suppress or remove your worldview Jesus doesn't wanna nullify your experiences and your emotions because all of those things go in to creating culture, amen? But Jesus comes and he opens up the hearts of men and women from all nations all over the world and he opens their hearts of the culture so that we start to view the world through gospel of grace and truth in Jesus Christ, thereby redeeming every culture which is why those who follow Jesus Christ were not forced to become Jewish. Those who follow Jesus Christ are not forced to memorize the Torah. Those who, who, who follow Jesus Christ are not forced to be circumcised or eat certain foods or dress a certain way or do certain things, but rather we're set free to follow and trust Jesus Christ as our Redeemer the way that we live, And so the division comes is when churches say that in order to worship God, you need to dress this way, do these things, talk this way, sing these type of songs, but not these type of songs. You can only move this way, but not this way. You can only perform this way, but not this way. And for many of those things, maybe a very uh, completely valid way for you to show your devotion to God. But it may be a hindrance to the gospel and the mission of the Spirit of God because he wants to reach every culture, every tribe, every tongue, every nation with the gospel as center in Jesus Christ. Which, so when you start saying, well, everyone must worship in this way, everyone must look a certain way, everyone must talk a certain way and, and show their devotion to God the same way that you do, but well, we don't raise our hands. We, we don't know what to do. Can I, can I clap? <laughs> Emotions, experience, and cultural backgrounds are valuable. The ultimate authority is the word of God, revealing the son of God, Jesus Christ, who did not come to destroy all people, but to redeem all people through the blood of the cross. It's why when the church gathers, there's people from all cultures, all ways of life, worshiping the same God. One God, one spirit, one baptism, one hope, one gospel, Jesus Christ. And the redemption is for anyone and everyone who would repent of their sins and put their faith in him. We need to understand that when God started the movement to redeem the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God chose not to do it through one culture or one language, but to reveal his saving power to every culture and every language simultaneously. And so this passage, although it does include speaking in other languages, other tongues, the point is not tongues. It's the redemption of all people, all tribes, all cultures, all languages. In the mighty spoken word of God, the greatness of God is proclaimed. Let's close with a warning. Verse 12, when the spirit fell, they were hearing the mighty works of God and all were amazed. Maybe not all believers But they were all amazed and perplexed. It's possible to be amazed and perplexed at the same time. It's possible to be amazed and not real sure. They were saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and said, they must be drunk. The demonstration of God's power causes both amazement and perplexity. Amen? The perplexity gives way to do two different responses. Some people seriously asked, what does this mean? I wanna inquire about this. I wanna know more. Others simply mocked. They leap to natural explanations. Oh, they must be drunk, they're filled with new wine. Whenever the Holy Spirit is poured out in extraordinary power, division happens. Some will genuinely inquire, test all things, hold fast to what is good. Others will stand outside and mock. They will write off the supernatural work of God for the natural work of man. So, how are we to handle it? Look at what it says. Peter, standing up with the 11, he's not alone, he lifted up his voice. I wanna tell you something, I wanna clarify for you. I'm gonna lift up my voice, and he addressed them. Men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. Those who have ears, let them hear. We are empowered and led by the Spirit to lift up our voice when division comes and address the world in grace and truth of Jesus Christ so that the world might be redeemed back to Christ. But that's next week. (laughs) Today, can we agree that we need a supernatural filling of the Spirit? And so, We need the Spirit if we're gonna take hold of our God-given purpose and our God-given plan as LifePoint Church. Let me tell you something, when the 120 were gathered in the upper room, they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to the gospel. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them and what did they do? They left the upper room. And they went and told the world about Jesus Christ. So many churches, so many people have simply become too comfortable sitting in the upper room. Just sitting. Because we like, we like the environment, we like the people there, uh, uh, we, we know everyone's name, we, 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 just, we wanna stay right here in these walls. But believe me, listen to me, the best kept secret in the world is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, the Bible tells us that the the, the enemy has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the glory of God in Jesus Christ. People are blind, they're deaf, they're numb, they're dead. And so we need power if we're going to go and proclaim to the world, come alive in Christ, that he who knew no sin became sin. So that in him we could become the righteousness of God. The gospel and grace and truth of Jesus Christ has been so manipulated and so counterfeited by religious works and morality and trash. And what the world needs is Jesus Christ to know the gospel. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of God. The world needs the news about Jesus and he calls us, he empowers us, he equips us to take it to the ends of the earth. I also believe that the best kept secret in our city and even this county is Life Point Church. I know There are hundreds of churches. And I've been to many, many churches. But very few churches love and give and serve and are compelled by the gospel, unlike this church. How many of you would say, you know what, I've been to a lot of churches. (laughs) But there's something different about the preaching of the gospel in this place. The move of the spirit in this place. And so you are the most amazing church and I am so thankful that God has called me to be your pastor and I will do it with all of my heart and all of my strength, and all of my mind, and all of my soul, until the Lord calls me home. So listen, we wanna continue to be a church that falls on our knees asking the Holy Spirit to fill us, to empower us, to gift us with a supernatural boldness to be proclaimers everywhere in every way. We want the Holy Spirit to empower us so that our life would point to Jesus through our actions and our words. And and, and so listen, we wanna love, we wanna serve, we wanna give, but it's time to go. It's time to move. Moving takes sweat, takes tears, it takes planning, but it takes the Holy Spirit to empower us. And so the sound of the gospel, may it come from those of you who are born again, filled with the Spirit. And when that sound of the gospel hits the multitude, may they come together in amazement. And may we lift one voice for the name of Jesus Christ and his glory alone. Amen. Let's pray for that. Holy Spirit. Oh God, here we are, your children, your people. Lord, today I I simply bow my heart before you, asking you, pleading you. Would you fill us with a supernatural boldness to be proclaimers of your word? So that people who are far from you would hear your truth and your grace And would come to faith. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give this church and your church, your universal church, a a supernatural harvesting of people who are drawn from impossible circumstances and what seems to be like hopeless scenarios. Would you draw people unto yourself so that the harvest would be great? Jesus, I'm praying for that harvest and I'm praying that you would use these people, that you would use me to be harvesters for your name and your glory. And we're asking you to allow us to experience your power in a supernatural way so that we would have a confidence that goes before us, a confidence that that rules within us, a fuel that is set to fire by your spirit to tell the world about your cross, your life, your death, your resurrection for them. Lord, I pray that this church would simply be on the move because you are filling us, filling us anew with your spirit. In Jesus' name.